So literally on Thursday morning while I'm walking up the road, I'd sent Colin and June and Carol ahead of me because I needed to check out from the hotel and sort out the car and whatever. And I said, I'll catch, catch you up. As I'm walking up there, a little bit late for the meeting, I was thinking about preaching today and uh, considering a number of things that we'd already heard over the previous two days and felt the Lord had impressed upon us through the preaching and teaching. Another plug, catch up with it if you can. And I asked the Lord whether I should preach what I was preparing or something else today that might summarize uh, what we've been hearing. And you know that sometimes you ask the Lord and you wait and... uh, Sometimes you ask the Lord something and the answer comes straight away. And that mo- that mo- literally that moment, the word Emmanuel came into my mind. Emmanuel. And within a few moments, when I got to the meeting, I sat down and opened my, my notebook and I wrote down four headings. And that's, that's today's sermon. That's, that's what the Lord gave me. We don't talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus only at Easter. At least I hope not. But we rarely talk about the birth of Jesus as incarnation, except at Christmas time. And in fact, when I looked for the word Emmanuel and for an image, I, they were nearly all really Christmassy, you know? So, oh, no, come on. Um, so, we, you know, one of the foundation truths of the Christian gospel is that this Jesus who died and rose again was born of the Virgin, God made flesh. God become man. That's essential, isn't it? Yes. It's crucial. Yes. Well, so we'll go back to Matthew 1 today. And I'm going to read you from Matthew 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being an upright man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he'd considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God who saves, Yahweh saves. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. That's, that's uh, Isaiah 7 verse 14, which is translated. That is the name Emmanuel translated means God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. In Isaiah 14, the Lord tells Isaiah to declare a sign to King Ahaz at the time that a virgin will become pregnant. Bible prophecy generally has a foreshadowing and then a fulfillment. There's something that happens which is sort of like that, but not altogether. It doesn't complete it, doesn't fulfill it. And then there's the big fulfillment further down the line, often quite a way down the line in terms of history. Something happens in the time shortly before the Lord, after the Lord gives the prophecy, contains something of what was predicted. That's the foreshadow. But later, often very much later, the fulfillment comes. The whole of the prophecy comes about and then it's complete 
Full, finished. Fulfilled means filled up. So it may well be that uh, commentators say that either King Ahaz or even Isaiah himself took a young virgin as his wife, had a son, and the son was named Emmanuel, according to the word of the Lord. Interestingly, in Isaiah 8, the next chapter, verse 8, that person, Emmanuel, is addressed by name. That son who'd been born. But the prophecy was not fulfilled then. What not, it was only foreshadowed then. The fulfillment, of course, was all about, Matthew tells us, who? Jesus. Jesus completes the Emmanuel prophecy. Emmanuel means God is with us. Though the Son of God had the given name Jesus, he carried the prophetic name Emmanuel. For in Jesus himself, God has come to us and was with us. God became man. The true and living God became a real living man. The foreshadow of the Emmanuel was a virgin becoming a wife and then a mother and a son being named Emmanuel. The prophecy wasn't complete, fulfilled by that event. Its fulfillment is in Jesus Messiah. So here's some very simple headings today. God with us. God's promise to Abraham and then to Jacob was I am with you. One of the repeating thoughts in Exodus right through to Numbers is the Lord was with Moses and the people of Israel. In the wilderness, God's presence had a visible sign of the pillar of cloud by day, which became a pillar of fire at night. The fear of Israel when they began to enter into the land came upon their enemies because their fear, the one they feared, was Yahweh, who was not distant. He was with them. Throughout their years in the wilderness, despite their rebellions and complainings and murmurings, the Lord was with them. He went with them. He kept them. He supplied them. He spoke to them, interacted with them, bringing strength and supplies or strong correction as appropriate. Those were glorious times, weren't they? The people living... There's one people under God, which is, I know that's on the American currency, but that's not true. It's true of these people in the wilderness. One nation under God, daily being fed by him, daily being led by him, day, day by day being under his supervision. But all of that, with all of its you know, incredible, miraculous events, was only foreshadowed. It's only the shadow, not the reality. The fulfillment of all of God's promises and all of God's I am with you is in Jesus. The God who promised I will be with you in the Old Testament speaks to us now in and through Jesus. To go to the very end of Matthew's Gospel yet again, Jesus says to us, to his people, remember, I am am with you. Now he's quoting here. He's, he's assuming upon himself all the authority of Yahweh, which is who he is, to say, I am with you. The I am who promised, he's promising you again. I am with you, always. 
to the end of the age. What is ours in Jesus, if you believe Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, what is ours in Jesus is greater and better than any saint under the old covenant ever knew or could have known. And that includes Moses and Abraham and David and all the rest. What we have is greater, is better. May the Lord open our ears and hearts to understand and believe that it's so. Paul prayed that, didn't he, in Ephesians, that the eyes of the understanding may be enlightened, that we might know how big this is, this hope, this, this salvation, this greatness of God, this greatness of his power, which is towards us, I believe. I'm going to get in my sermon. We'll get there later. God is with us. I want to spell that down three ways. Okay? First of all, God is near us. How near? Oh, you'd be surprised, how near? How near is God? We need to think about God's nearness and his presence in at least three ways. The first one is a theological word, omnipresence. God is all present. God is in every place at the same time and there is no place where God is not. David writes about this in Psalm 139. In the first six verses of Psalm 139, he talks about God's, God's omniscience, his all knowledge. There is nothing he does not know. But then he goes on to talk about God's all presence. I still I, I notice it's not on the screen. Psalm 139, listen to this, verse 7. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into heaven, you're there, clearly. Expected that one, didn't you? <laughs> if I make my bed in Sheol, in death, the grave, you're there. If I leave, live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And he goes on in that magnificent psalm to talk about how when he was in his mother's womb, he was being formed there by the hand of God. Omnipresence. There is nowhere, nowhere where God is not. There's no moment which does not have God's presence in it. Therefore, there is no human activity Anywhere, at any time, where God isn't present, observing. But let me go further than that. There is nothing that happens that God is not concerned about. Some old theologians used to talk about God having no emotions, no passions. And I, they were wrong on that one. They were wrong on that one. The reason we have love and anger and pity and compassion is because we were made in the image of God. Amen. When God, when I say God is there and God sees, God hurts. God has pity. God hates. God pities the oppressed. The oppressed 
and hates the oppressor. They will one day encounter his fierce wrath, which has been built up against them for their deeds and their unrepentance. That's Bible language, isn't it? See, the the doctrine that God is all-present and all-knowing means nothing will escape his justice. Nothing. But for those who repent, those who call on his name for forgiveness and for reconciliation, there is nothing he cannot forgive. That's the greatness of his love, of his mercy. That's omnipresence. I'm going off my notes because I'm allowing myself to. (laughs) The second way we think about God's presence, and we should think about God's presence, is his experienced or felt presence. We know, we feel the Lord's presence. Psalm 23, you know this one, don't you? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Comfort means really strengthen. It's not like, you know, something that softens your clothing. It's something that strengthens your heart, your guts. David believed the Lord was with him, and at times he obviously felt or or experienced the Lord with him. Okay, I'm going to do a hands up. I hope I'm not embarrassed by this. How many have ever could say you felt the Lord's presence? Oh, I'm glad about that. My goodness, I thought I was going to be in a minority. (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. You knew he was there. The experience, the felt presence of the Lord. Let me tell you something, folks. We need to be eager for that. We may not always have it. We may even go through some dry times in our lives. But when you're dry, you're still thirsty, aren't you? You know what you're missing. Lord, I long to feel your presence again. When David had sinned and fallen, read Psalm 51. Oh, take, don't take your presence from me. Please don't take your spirit from me. The felt, the experienced presence of the Lord. We should seek that. Be eager for that. Pray for that when we gather together. His experienced presence. And then thirdly, his manifest presence presence. That is to say, we know God is here because he just showed up. He came and brought a word. Now he does these these things very often through people. He gives gifts in the the body of Christ so that through prophecy, through healing, through through words of knowledge, word of wisdom, through different things, God is known to be present. It says in Corinthians, the, the manifestation of the Spirit, the Spirit being active, doing something, saying something, is given for the common good. But the Spirit doesn't do it without us. He does it through us and with us. But that's the manifest presence of God. God manifests himself through prophecy, through preaching, through, through inspired prayings, through tongues and interpretation, through healings. The sense of the Lord's presence may be more evident, more powerful at sometimes than others. It's certainly more manifest at sometimes than others. 
Though Jesus often healed people, though he had a difficulty with the unbelief in his hometown, Luke reports on a particular day, you can read this in Luke 5.17, when as crowds gathered to him, Luke distinctly says this, that the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing that day. This, This was a remarkable day. This was at a level that was different from other days. I mean, it's like, you know, God's presence was, wow, really powerful that day. You know? Whether that was the number of people being healed or, or, or the, the measure of the healing being brought, some, maybe there was, some, there was a whole string of remarkable things that happened that day. People saw with their own eyes, you know, like withered limbs being healed or something. But the Lord's presence was powerful with Jesus that day. If Jesus could have quieter days and powerful days... How much more should we? But do we ask for them? Do we want them? Days when we know, not just personally, oh, I feel him, but we're seeing him at work, hearing him speak. God's manifest presence. Pursuing the presence of the Lord in this sense is a personal choice and a pursuit. And I remembered this morning from the New American Standard, uh, which was my Bible for decades, Psalm 73, verse 28. Holman Christian Standard, which I read nowadays, says, As for me, God's presence is my good. The New American, I love this version here, As for me, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness, let me paraphrase that, put it in my words. The nearness of my God is my good. Can I leave that one with you? The nearness of my God is my good. This is where it happens. When he is near, this is where it happens. When good things happen. When my good is being pursued. When things are working together for my good according to his promise. It's to do with his nearness. I thought it was about our faith. Yeah, that too. I want to emphasize this this morning. His nearness. God is near. You can't get away from him. (laughs) The old, old, you know... uh, the old American preacher we do sometimes, you know, you can't get out of, you can't be, get with him and you can't get without him, you know, all that kind of thing. You can't run away from God. It's the most stupid idea on planet Earth. There is no escape from the all-present one. And there's nothing hidden from the all-knowing one. So what's the answer then? Oh, to long for his nearness. To be hungry for his presence. To move beyond believing in the omnipresent one to the the one who makes his presence felt, experienced. And even beyond that, when he shows up and we are seeing and hearing what he is saying and doing, albeit through the people that he inspires to do it. But it's nevertheless the work of God. And here's the thing, folks. The minute we say, I did that rather than he gave that to me, we're probably going to experience him less and see less. 
If we could only handle the works of God with humility of heart, God would do a lot more. And then thirdly, in breaking it down, God is for us. For us. As Paul draws towards the end of his great statement of the sovereign redeeming grace of God in writing Romans, following his already accomplished method there, he asks the question and then he answers it. He writes this. What then are we to say about these things in response to this great doctrine of the sovereign redeeming glorious grace of God? Here's what we're going to say. If God is for us, who is against us? There are some songs recently that have helpfully said this. God is for us, not against us. God does not have a mixed opinion in this matter. Now, what now? I'm not sure about that. Mm, I, I might have to change tack with them. I think I'm going to change my mind about this one. I'm not, no, I'm not. Yeah. No. If he has chosen us and given us to his son to redeem us from our sins... He is for us, and there is no change in that. There is no change happening on that. He is for us. And if God is for us, no one else can successfully, I I said successfully, they will try, but they cannot succeed. No one else can successfully be or stand against us. If they fight us, they fight our God. If they wrong us, our God will avenge us. That's why we can forgive them, because we just leave it to God. Vengeance is his. But I want to say some more about this word for, that God is for us. And use another word that crops up in Paul quite a bit. It's the word toward. God is towards us. If I, standing over here, and I'm going to use Carol for illustration. (laughs) If, I turn, if I'm towards Carol, that means I'm turning and I'm looking and I'm going to receive and I'm going to give. I'm going to have conversation and whatever. God is towards us. His face is on us. We never have his back. He's got our back. <laughs> we have his face. Do you remember the blessing, the priestly blessing that Moses uh, from, from the Lord gave to them? You priest, this is how you bless the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift the light of his face towards you. Yeah? When you come in and your face is down, his face is up looking at you. Let me read some scriptures to you about this towards. Okay, They're in the notes, I think. Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his unlove towards us. He demonstrates his love towards us. It's pointing our way. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then in Romans 11, Paul concluding his argument about the grace of God says, God's kindness towards you. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, his grace toward me. 2 Corinthians 13, 3, to pick it up from the previous verse, it's Paul there is saying, Christ is not weak towards you, but powerful among you. Jesus isn't weak, he's powerful towards you. And in Ephesians 1, verse 19, Paul prays that we might understand, might comprehend the immeasurable greatness of his power, which is towards us, 
who believe. His power is towards us. There was another guy preaching on the first morning, Phil Hills, in him, a pastor. He's now the director of uh, Teen Challenge, the drug ministry. And uh, he very powerfully that morning said, you know, it's time we stop praying for the power and realize that it's towards us. That God is in us and wants us to know his power. It's not coming out of somewhere else. It's, it, 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 he's here, he's near, and his power is towards us. Uh, and I thank God for that, that, that bit of that preach because I was going, yes, yes, that is, that is that's what I said when I was preaching Ephesians, isn't it? Yes, I do believe that, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I've said that too, yes. And in Ephesians 2 verse 7, the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness, where? Towards us. The arrow is come from heaven to us, yes? The, the supply is from heaven to us. He is towards us. Peter also writes, the Lord is not slow about his promises, some can slowness, but he's patient towards you. So he's patient and he's gracious and he's powerful and he's merciful and, and wise and towards us. God is with us and for us, but God is acting towards us. If it helps you to imagine this, think of his heart and his hand reaching out to us. If it helps you to understand and believe this. In the same way that a father reaches to his child, and the child knows that comes with all of the compassion of that parent. I could say a mother as well, yes? God is towards us. If God was with Israel, helping and supplying them, and we have a better covenant built upon better promises, how much more can we rely upon his presence and his provision and his protection? God is towards us. And lastly, this is a bit longer, this one. God is in us. God with us, this Emmanuel prophecy, which was fulfilled in Jesus, but now because we are in him, flows to us. God is with us. It goes as deep as this. God is with us, goes as deep as this, to the very core of your being. God is in us. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is in us. That's the very simple definition of what it is to be a Christian. That Jesus lives in us. The risen Lord is resident within us, in our being. We have him. How many times have you heard some of you gospel preachers say, invite Jesus into your heart? Do you know those scriptures are written to Christians? Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And when a church had got too busy to, that they'd forgotten about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in, in Revelation says, I'm standing at the door and knocking, and if you open the door, I'll come and be with you. And if only one of you responds, I'll come and have supper with you. That's all right. Yeah. This truth of Jesus living in us and making his home in us is, 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 is just very, very basic Christianity. It's what it is. It's what it is. 
It's not all the, the fuss and the rituals and the, gospels, the gospel kind of meetings and the gospel worship and the things on TV. and all. This is it. Jesus, the risen Savior, living in us. In the New Covenant, one part of God's hidden purpose that is now revealed and declared is this. God does not live in buildings. He lives in people, in community and in individuals, in the church and in the individual Christian. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't have any other temples nowadays. Only people, community and individually. God's temple in the new covenant is the corporate church and the individual Christian. So KCC is not a house of the Lord. We are. We are. We are, to quote Paul in Ephesians, a habitation of God through the Spirit. A dwelling place is more modern translation. The dwelling place of God through the Spirit is you and me, individually and together. God, the living God, wants a living temple. Something that lives and breathes and moves and speaks. Not something that's dead, dead. What could be deader than a brick? (laughs) It's just inanimate, isn't it? God fills and lives in things that live, particularly his people. This is what Jesus talked about and what he prayed for in John's Gospel. And, you know, I preach through John's Gospel as well, so these things is very still fresh with me. Firstly, in John 14, the Lord Jesus promised that though he would return to the Father, he would send another strengthener, advocate. Again, the, English, the old English is comforter, but that's, it's not there, there, never mind. It's, come on, you can be, I'm going to help you, I'm going to strengthen you. A comforter to be with us. And also notice this, in us. He is with you and shall be in you, said Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 15 to 18. Then he says that through the Holy Spirit being with us and in us, because the Holy Spirit is in us, we would know the presence of Jesus and of the Father in us and with us. We know their presence through the Spirit's presence because he communicates all of the Godhead to us. We know the Father. We know the Lord Jesus in us and with us because the Spirit represents all of the Godhead in us and with us. Here is how the Lord Jesus sums up the promise of the Holy Spirit being in us and with us. In that day, what day? The day that they received the Spirit. The day he promised he will be in you. And when, they, when he was in them, this was true. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus was in them and is in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And when you've received the Spirit and you know the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, Jesus is living in you. In that day, you will know. You'll experience the presence of God. I'm in the Father. He and the Father are one in unity and purpose. You are in me. 
That's your status, your identity now. You are in Christ. You're no longer the old you. You're a new person in Christ. And I am in you. God is with you to such an extent you can't not have him with you. You can ignore his presence and you can ignore his voice and you can do all sorts of stuff and that you shouldn't do, maybe. But you can't get rid of him. If the Spirit at work in a particular situation is God the Holy Spirit, he'll make Jesus real to us. That's the promise of the Lord Jesus. He will take of mine and make it real to you. But if the spirit at work doesn't honor Jesus, I don't want anything to do with that spirit. And I don't care how big the name is that the ministry has. If the spirit at work is not honoring Jesus, I don't want anything to do with it. Because the spirit of God will always honor Christ. Always, always, always. The focus is never on the preacher, the minister. It's on Jesus. And in John 15, moving on from John 14, the Lord Jesus urges us to continue to live in him and have him live in us. Do you remember? It's about a vine and branches. Live in me, and I'm going to live in you. And then you'll bear much fruit, and you'll pray for things, and they'll be answered. You know? All those wonderful promises there. But they rooted in this. Live in me, and I live in you. Jesus in us. In the same way that a branch that's joined to a tree draws its life from the tree, the vine, and bears fruit. We live in Jesus, and he lives in us. And then in John 16, Jesus tells us more about the work of the Holy Spirit. He will glorify the Lord Jesus by bringing to us what is his. Bringing bringing his presence, bringing his word. So we live in Jesus. Then in John 17, these glorious chapters of John, Jesus in John 17 makes his great high priestly prayer and he prays to the Father everything he's just taught us. He asks the Father to do everything he's just said. Isn't that something? There isn't time to work through the whole prayer. Let me point out just these statements from that John 17 great prayer. Jesus prays this. I am in them and you are in me. Jesus is in us. How near can you get? The nearness of my God is for my good. How near can you get? He lives in us through the Spirit. Here's another one. Verse 26. I made your name known to them and will make it known so the love you have loved me with may be in them and he still goes back to it again and I may be in them. To know the love of God, the love of Christ is is wonderful, isn't it? Oh, it's glorious. But you know, that's only some of him, something from him. Yeah? Yeah. He wants his love to be in you but it's big, but be, even bigger than that is that he himself is in you. 
So it's not, I feel his love like as if it's coming from out there somewhere. Oh, look, here's another bit. Oh, that's nice. How about from in deep in here, it wells up because he is living in you. How many of you know that this experience of the Holy Spirit at work in us is often like this kind of welling thing? It comes, something that rises within you? Inspiration, courage, even the peace of God and the love of God, they just kind of wash, you know. Sometimes you have the experience of things coming from above, but sometimes they come from underneath. How do they come from down underneath? Because he is living in you. <laughs> That's how. And when you pray and you ask for his help or you just take time to hang out with the Lord and wait on his presence and, and, and worship him, things well up. Jesus said, the water that I give you will be a water of life. That's a spring of living water. That's bubbling water. You know, It's like Perrier, except they used to put the bubbles back into Perrier. It wasn't really bubbly. They pushed to put the bubbles in. They were liars. They told us it was naturally bubbly. It was added bubbles. There are naturally bubbly spring waters, you know, and one of them I particularly like. But uh, bubbly spring water, you know, out of the ground. Jesus says, the water that I will give you will be like living water that bubbles up inside of you. A well that springs up into eternal life. This flow, this, this, this gushing won't finish until you make heaven. In fact, it's part of what carries you there. The supply of the Spirit. Welling up, welling up, welling up. People say, oh, I'm welling up, meaning they're near to tears. Well, there's a better way of welling up, which is that you're being filled with the Spirit. (laughs) You feel feel the, the filling up inside. Sometimes that's for purpose. You feel inspired bring a word of prophecy or to speak any tongues or something. Other times it's just for your good. So you again are convinced of the nearness of your God. And of his hand upon you and with you. He's with you. He's strengthening you. He's going to supply you. Don't fear. Jesus in us. That was his goal. Beyond his death and resurrection that he would live in us. Jesus is not just someone we remember But he's the living one with us and in us by the Holy Spirit. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the long way that Paul writes it out in Romans 8. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He's the spirit who gives us life because we're in Christ Jesus. So this Christianity is about life, yes? It's not about doing church. It's about life. Every bit of life, because God invades every bit of your life, whether you know it or not, and whether you like it or not. He's there. But he wants you to know his presence there, because his nearness is your good. The nearness of my God is my good. Here's what Paul prays for the Ephesians. I'm going to read, there's one verse, I'm going to read you the rest. This great prayer of Paul. He obviously had learned some lessons from Jesus about prayer. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he might grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit. And he's not just talking there about signs and wonders and healings times. He's talking about life. 
strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit, and that the Messiah, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth, four dimensions, where do they come from? Of God's love. And to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. So you may be filled. Let me just stop there. So you may be what? I have a, I have a hearing problem. You need to say it again. Filled. It's pretty good, isn't it? So you may be filled. But look at the next bit. With, it's not on there, is it? Sorry. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. So this space in me can never get big enough to contain all of God, but God wants me to keep knowing more of him. Yeah? Yes. Filled and then stretched and filled and stretched and filled and stretched because there's always more of God. More of his presence, more of his kindness, more of his grace, all of the things he's talked about which are towards us. More of his power, more of his nearness, more of his very presence and person. Jesus in us now by the Holy Spirit is the down payment on our full future inheritance of the kingdom and glory of our God. Colossians says it this way. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. Mystery in the New Testament is now revealed. It's not still a mystery. It's now an unlocked mystery. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your knowing of Jesus and experience of Jesus, not just going on in your life, but from within. Christ in you. Notice that? Not Christ in your circumstances. That's true, but Christ in you, living in you, is the hope of glory. This is going to become that. And if this can get better, how great is that going to be? He is not just with us, but in us. And not just during our rhythms and rituals and routines of Christian faith like now, this morning, but all the time. We live by faith in him and he lives in us through faith. So Emmanuel, God with us, is still working out as God in Jesus the Son, by the Holy Spirit, is with us, for us, towards us, and in us. Jesus is with us and in us by the Holy Spirit. And this is his unshakable purpose and promise for every one of his children, until, as Jesus prayed in John 17, until we are finally all at home with him. So let me ask you some questions. They're in the notes. Where is God in your life? Out there, over there? Thank you. Is he there in odd moments? No, you might feel him. 
some moments and not at others, but his presence is never anywhere else. Is he in you, living in your heart, the core of your being through faith? Does God have first place? I wonder if you can pick up that phrase that I've, I know I'm paraphrasing it. Psalm 73, verse 28. The nearness of my God is my good. Can you make that yours? And say, it's good for me when I know God is near. Because then I'm, I'm really working at my best. I'm really, really going to do well at serving him because his nearness is my good. Do you know his presence? If, you know, if not particularly, do you want to? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They'll be filled. And since being filled with all the fullness of God and being filled with the Spirit, is, it's all part of the same language. Guess what the filling is? You know, thank God it's not something they do at the dentist. It's something that gets done in your heart. And, you know, to be filled with all the fullness of God. Let me ask you this one. Do you regularly ask and seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, you know, I know we could do a history lesson when you were filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, I understand that. Yes. But, you know, you can go on asking to be filled. You can be filled again. You can take moments, time, and say, fill me again, Lord, with your presence, with your Spirit. Right here, right now. It's a faith thing. The well needs to spring up at times. You know, You've, because we let it go dry. That's our problem, not his. We didn't, he didn't do it, we did. But I can say, come on, Lord, please. Don't take your spirit from me. Let me know again your living presence. God does not intend for us that we live without his nearness, without his help, without his strength, without his supply. Because he could not be more for us than he is. And here now again how Paul argues that. He who did not withhold his only son but offered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? How for us can he be? No more than he is. His heart and his hand are toward us. But our image of God may need fixing. The way we think about him may need straightening out. For he is not a God who is distant. He's a God who is more near than your next breath. And he's not a God who is distant emotionally from you and your circumstances. He's with you and feels with you. And he's not a God who lacks power. And he's not a God who lacks compassion to be your helper. The nearness of my God is my good. Let's pray.